Welcome, Tactical Faith listeners. Uh, I'm going to try something new called Tactical Faith Musings. This is going to be where I bring a group together to talk about an idea or something that's going on today in our culture. Uh, this, these kind of musings or topics are going to be something that I would like to do that are just a little off the cuff from what I usually do with my podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about conspiracies, uh, the idea of what, what are conspiracies, are we gullible as Christians to believe certain conspiracies? Uh, today and right now in this pandemic, we're dealing with all kinds of storylines about where did it come from? Uh, what do we do with it? Are there people in cabals that want to use this uh, for their own means? Ed Stetzer, of course, came out with an article where he says that Christians should not be sharing uh, these conspiracies, that we're not into kind of being gullible. Like, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we're supposed to be uh, ambassadors of the truth. So we tackle and think about that article, and of course I will post that in the descriptions. Once again, thank you for coming along and being a part of the Tactical Faith family. Uh, but at being at home, we have to ask questions, and we're very reflective about where we are, and especially about where are things going. But in order for us to make sense of where we're going, it would be nice to know what's going on in the world. So we live in an age now where we have access to so much information. We have access to so many opinions, and we're all collectively trying to make sense of it. And in doing so, we find on the internet different kinds of opinions and stories and people that seem to think they're authorities on one issue or the other. Um, with the spreading of news now, there's a 24-hour news cycle, so we get we get news every single minute of every hour of every day. Um, in fact, my wife uh, has told me that I have to control my inputs. At some point, I was digging as far as I could and as deeply as I could on coronavirus because I feel like as a husband and as a father, it's my duty to kind of protect my family and start and make and create kind of goals for my family to get through this particular issue. But I thought it was kind of interesting to kind of bring some people together uh, and talk about this collectively. We, we, I brought some pastors together and now I'm bringing my group together, the guys that I consider part of tactical faith. And with me today is of course, Travis, uh, I have Shannon, who you all know, who's creative director, and I have Dave Jones. Dave Jones is one of the uh, very beginning kind of founders of Tactical Faith. Uh, he goes all the way back from the early 2000s with me. Uh, we worked together for a long time before I left to go to Montgomery, Alabama, and he's on board as well. And I said, guys, let's get together and let's talk about this kind of subject, this this issue of not only COVID, but also the issue of um, what do we do with all these kind of rumors of conspiracy rumors of where Corona came from? What is it really? And how do we tackle the issue of not really knowing, um, having a lot of information? We don't really know enough about this virus to make any sense out of it. And I was looking over the internet trying to make sense of, of this particular topic of, can we as Christians be too gullible? Right. And are and, and if we're too gullible, do we fall for what we consider conspiracies? And are there even such thing as conspiracies? I mean, what do we do with that? Uh, so I brought them along and figured this would be a good time for us to discuss this. So <clears throat> there's actually an article that came up with with Ed Stetzer. 
Uh, you can get it online at Christianity Today. You look Google for it. It's called On Christian Spreading Corona Conspiracies. Gullibility is not a Christian gift or not a spiritual gift. As followers of Jesus, we are people of the truth. Falling for and spreading conspiracy theories does not honor the Lord, but it does, but it does cause people to question our judgment. So I'm going to throw this to Dave. Dave, give me give me what you think a conspiracy is. And you've read over Ed Stetzer's article about this. Tell yeah. me a little bit of what you think about his article and what you think about conspiracies in general. I mean, you know, a conspiracy is just a, it should be like a, a secret plot or um, a group of, you know, people, you know, that get together and try to affect something, but, I, but it's in secret. And, you know, I think part of the, part of the problem, you know, with conspiracy theory, uh, especially in the context of talking about Christians and conspiracy theories um, is the terms get messed up a lot. I mean, you can say, okay, a, consp a classical conspiracy theory would be that there would be some, some group of people uh, that, um, get together and in secret um, group of powerful people are controlling events. So something like, um, you know, World, uh, World War One was uh, spearheaded and created by a group of British elite, Cecil Rhodes um, and uh, the Rothschilds in order to profiteer off, off the war. Um, that's been a persistent, conspiracy theory um, that has, you know, even gotten more popular in the last 10 years since uh, there's been a few books released. Uh, something like um, the FDR got us into World War II. He knew Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked and he, um, he set it up that way by putting an oil embargo, embargo on Japan in order to provoke them, then move the entire Pacific fleet to, to Hawaii and just waited and in order to give uh get an impetus to push the public into joining the war so those are like you know that's a classical conspiracy theory uh, revolving around powerful elite usually connections to government who determined to do a certain thing for profit or control or power you know that kind of thing and you know i my own personal belief is that, you know, that is familiar territory for a Christian. Um, I mean, you look at uh, the book of Acts, there was a conspiracy. Uh, There's multiple conspiracies against Paul. Um, the um, Jewish elite conspired against, against Jesus. Um, I mean, the word conspiracy itself is used in the scripture multiple times in those instances. And so there is a, you know, historical context for Christians to buy into some of that. Now, you know, Ed Stetzer's thing is about gullibility. And I don't know if y'all believe, you know, y'all can uh, weigh in here, but I, he, he seems to be flip-flopping between conspiracy, like, is it true? And then how does it make us look? So it's almost like he's, concerned about gullibility but then how does that gullibility make us look bad like in social media and that kind of thing 
that is one thing that was frustrating to me about about his article was that he seemed to and and I've I've read some of his other articles uh, in the past. He was uh, he was somebody who was real vocal about some of this uh, some of these other kind of conspiracies that have been going on and have kind of run through uh, Facebook and things like that like Pizzagate and stuff like that. He was, he's, he's been critical of Christians obviously before this, but um, the thing that I, that, that, that was a little frustrating to me was his, he seems to be more concerned with the optics of, of Christians who, who buy into this and how it, and how that reflects on Christians uh, as, as a whole. I, I get that to a certain extent, right? But I think Mr. Stetzer, I want to, I want to say, you know, just off the cuff that the man might be a little, little, a little out of touch with common people, because if you take a good hard look at what Christianity is, it's all over the place. It's, it's a huge cross section of society. You have, you have, you don't just have scholars who are, who are, you know, in academia and who are the ones that are mainly being published you have you have the carpenter down the road that doesn't have a high school degree and has only been on facebook for a year and a half and has you know like 12 grandkids and just this old 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 fella that that's just kind of moving along in life but he's been a faithful attender of his local church his entire life so you know there's there's a little bit of of this kind of uh the the shame that i felt whenever i was reading the article like this is this is something that that is not necessarily you know the the thing to be made a point of is how, like how it makes us look hmm. that's frustrating to me what do you think about it travis yeah, I, I, it's interesting that he his primary. I guess the thing that Trump that kind of a, annoyed me about the article was instead of suggesting uh, a good approach to gaining information, even though he, he sort of he touted his own uh, site that they have there that gives information, uh, but it's it's unclear to me what constitutes gullibility in in his. Because gullibility can come out in one of two ways, right? If I simply believe everything I hear on the news from uh, – and I, let me paint this in sort of it – might, it might sound conspiratorial tones, but um, if I believe everything that those in power tell me, am I, am I, am I not gullible? I mean, is not not what gullibility is? Like if we believe all the information that came out of China – isn't that a sign of gullibility? So the question is, like, how does Stetzer define gullibility? Like, he seems to be saying, now, he probably isn't saying this. If you, if you just read the article, and I haven't looked at all of his other information, but just reading the article, it sounds like what he's saying is, believe what you're told and stop thinking stuff. Right? <laughs> sure. And that way you won't be gullible and you'll be a good, but it sounds like he's almost saying, look, everyone just be quiet and, and support the status quo. What the news tells you or what the government tells you or what China tells you or what the WHO tells you, that's true. Just believe them. But even that, 
obviously the information has changed so dramatically from the computer computer models to whether we should be wearing masks and the whole night, like everything has been changing so much that if I have the gullibility to believe everything they've told me, then my, I feel like a, I feel like I'm in 1984. Uh, we've always been supposed to be wearing masks uh, because it just changed today. And now eternally we will have been wearing masks. You know, we've always been at war with Southeast Asia or whatever it is. Like, um, so, uh, you know, the reverence, but I've, like to be a little bit skeptical about this information and, and he has the, he has the change in his article that we, we had talked about before this, where he's like, if you believe it was some sort of biological weapon made in a lab, then that's ridiculous. And then he goes, well, it was made. You're part of the problem is what he th says. Yeah. There, there, there are hints that it was made in a lab. It's actually become a reasonable bit of information, but it's, I don't understand why, why it's weird to think that there are nations that would create bio, try to create biological weapons. I mean, what, whether this is biological weapon is sort of beside the point. Because like, if if you're gullible, it means you're just believing anything anybody says. But but the to believe that China was would try to build a biological weapon doesn't strike me as a strange thing to think. It's not like they're pro-human rights or anything. So. Is it out of care? Like one of, that's one of the things of conspiracy theories. Is it out of character? Does it throw all the blame on one class of individuals? Um, it, there's there's different elements that come out in conspiracy theories that make them unbelievable. But the but China trying to make a biological weapon doesn't strike me as strange at all. <laughs> yeah. So like being so, does China have? a large portion of their population essentially enslaved these Muslim Christian or uh, these uh, Muslim Chinese, Chinese Muslims, and that they're actually being used for forced labor. Is that a conspiracy or is that something that, that that's really happening in China? If you talk to somebody out of China, they're going to be like, well, of course that's not happening. But if you talk to Christians who are in humanitarian services, and missionaries, they're like, yeah, that's happening. And there's really no doubt about it. You know, your iPhone could very well be made, you know, through some of this, some of this uh, forced labor, you know? I think the, when people, uh, again, think the terms are important because when people talk about conspiracies, um, you know, a lot, it's, it's very easy to, to, find fault with a traditional conspiracy theory. Like someone is, there's a secret group of people plotting to do a, a particular thing and carry it out. That, that is probably historically speaking, that was easier to pull off than that, I, I, than something today. But I think what people really mean when they talk about conspiracies are not, um, secret groups of people that get together in a dark smoke filled room and make plans. What, what constitute, I think a conspiracy, conspiracy theories have evolved over time and to where what you might call the modern conspiracy theory is that there are multiple entities at any, whenever an event happens, um, coronavirus, perfect example, whenever an event happens, there are always multiple interconnected groups of people or entities may, you may call them that stand to benefit from that event. 
in many ways. There's always winners and there's always losers. And the, there is a powerful elite of people. You can't deny that there is a powerful connected group of elites who stand to make a profit or, you know, either monetarily or, or in power or however you want to call, uh, you know, whichever way you want to hash it out. There's a powerful group of connected people that stand to gain from world events, whether it's entities in the media or in politics or in philanthropy, um, there's, or, or in the university academic setup, you know, system, uh, in the military industrial, uh, area in normal corporate, uh, business, there's always going to be a mixture of entities that are going to benefit and they jump on board. Um, they don't necessarily have to have a pre set plot where they've all been getting together in a room and hashing out what they're going to do to carry this thing out. What, what seems to, you know, what I saw with when coronavirus came out, it didn't strike me as some sort of conspiracy where everybody got together and decided to design a virus in a lab and then release it on the world. What looked to me like was this event came about and then multiple entities jumped on board one after another to try to get their piece of whatever this action was about to be. And they all, and many of the, you know, Bill Gates definitely jumped on board with, you know, his, his whole thing is vaccines and, you know, pandemics and that kind of thing. So it was natural for him to jump on board. It was natural for the NIH to jump on board. It was not, you know, we saw My Michael Osterholm, uh, the guy in Minnesota, the infectious disease doctor, he, you know, he came out on Joe Rogan and said what he said. You, and then the media, it was perfect for the media to get eyeballs on screens in order to sell advertising. It, you don't have to have a pre-existing conspiracy where there's a bunch of people trying to drive the thing all you need is a single event and everybody jumps on board and tries to get their piece of the pie and a lot of times they know each other and they play off each other and that kind of thing and that i i think that may be what what many people sense and it it may come across as a conspiracy but when ed stesser talks about conspiracy he's talking about it as if this was you know 1910 but that's not the way the world necessarily works anymore. That's. Yeah, I think that's really that's good. Very good. Yeah. And the other, I think the other, the other element that's left out in Stetzer's piece, like when I mentioned, you know, biological lab and possibly biological over, I'm not asserting that this was a biological weapon, but that's how somebody might hear it. And when you're saying there are people that stand to gain from it, clearly you're not, you're not suggesting they put it together and you're not even suggesting like Bill Gates may not have some ulterior motive when he jumps in on this. Uh, though that probably ends up coming up, you know, in time, eventually someone wants to make a little bit of money or some sort of benefit from it. Yeah. But the the question isn't, it seems like if it's not merely, it, most people seem to be like on or off, like it's an on off switch, either you accept what you're told or you, or actually you, you assert the opposite. But it seems to me that both of those are, are can be a kind of a form of gullibility. Where we should be setting is when there are huge holes in the plot line in the information that we'll be giving. So like, like the Jeffrey Epstein thing. It's really hard to accept 
the, the story that's been handed, that's been given to us by the media and mm-hmm. the lack of interest in it. Now, those who start crafting these elaborate plots and describing this is what happened, those people are, are failing as well because if, if you don't have the evidence, you don't start crafting a story about, you know, uh, you know the Pentaveret and Colonel Sanders. Uh, sorry, <laughs> so I married an axe murder reference. Um, but uh, instead, what you do is is to to step back and take the information you have and allow the questions to to sit there. Everyone is so quick to come up with the right answer. They want to come up with the right answer that they're, they're unwilling to sit in the uncertainty. And I think what Stetzer should be attacking is not gullibility, but the unwillingness to allow a little bit of uncertainty to, to sit there. Where did this come from? Well, it seems to have come from China. I don't think it came from the American military. Um, you know, like they said, um, did it come out of a lab? Well, there seems like it could be. Was it a biological weapon? That's ridiculous. How could you possibly believe that? Well, I think it should be allowed to be a question whether it was a biological weapon, let, let loose. I, I'm not asserting that it was a biological weapon. I don't, I don't have any information on that. But it doesn't seem out of character for the Chinese to have created. So, but the whole issue is that once I start declaring it's absolutely a biological weapon, it's time to nuke them or something like that, right? But now I'm losing it. Um, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the demand to, we want to fall into stories that explain everything for us, usually make me the good guy and make very clear who the bad guys are. Those are the things that make us most comfortable. That is both acceptable for the, the, the people in power who tell us what to believe. And if we believe them, we're not gullible, according to Stetzer. And it's both, uh, it's both comfortable for those who are into conspiracy theories. Um, to be a little bit, to be questioning doesn't, doesn't clarify things for us. It doesn't make, it doesn't settle every, all the questions and tell us that, look, I am the good guy and I'm being mistreated. And those are the bad guys over there. I can point at them. Um, so what you're saying is, oh, I, I like, I like where this conversation is going. So you're saying that there's, it's acceptable for us not to have the answer right away. And in fact, it might be the most virtuous position to sit and watch and watch whatever reality unfolds before we have answers to these questions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Now I'm saying that partly because I'm not, I'm so tired of coronavirus and, you know, news and stuff i just don't i'm like same you know so i'm not really paying enough attention i'll read a little bit here and there so i'm just i'm in a place of ignorance and that's where i'm sitting um because i'm more curious about other things i mean i'm kind of curious to see where this goes you know if we're all end up in a famine like people are saying that i'm gonna be real curious but uh whether this is all worth it but but i think yeah we should be comfortable with with not having all the answers and I think people are so quick to jump in. Question, what is the motive to demand a quick answer? Well, I think part of it is because it marks out who the good, good guys and bad guys are. Well, well, maybe specifically, it makes me a good guy and, the, and it tells me who the bad guys are. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's what I get so aggravated about, especially in the apologetic world that I, I live and, and breathe in and get paid to do, is, is that not even a week into this, we're seeing the same old arguments being thrown in the apologetic world I mean, you, you see them from the usual folks who, who, who I enjoy listening and reading and stuff. But I mean, the question is now I, I got asked to do a, a webinar this week on why did God allow this to happen? And I'm sitting there thinking, God, we are not there yet. 
right? I mean, we're just not at a point yet where I'm satisfied that we, that we can put our fist up in the air and get mad at God because I've run out of things to watch on Netflix. Uh, is that, is that part of this? Because I, I, there's almost like this mistrust even happening in me that you watch the church world, as Dave said, get out in front of this as quick as everybody else is too. And, and we're, we're too quick try to, to try to provide answers of certainty when there's none there. And, we, and by doing that, we become gullible. You know, I think we talked the other day about, um, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, believers growing up in churches where, um, you know, they saw their own power structure within the church, you know, doing terrible things. You know, I personally grew up in a church that had multiple, uh, you know, multiple scandals. Um, You know, it was just like every other, you know, every other year, a new staff member was going down in some sort of scandal. Um, you know, usually sexual in nature. And so you see that, you know, you grow up in that a lot and uh, everybody's got their stories. And so why, you know, that, if you can imagine it, if you can imagine things like that happening in this small local, unfortunately political body, which is the church, you know, and then you just extrapolate that out into larger and larger, you know, power structures of, you know, it's just natural to think that, of course, these things are happening, you know, at large, the old, you know, the absolute power corrupts absolutely is if it's true in a, in a, in a church body of 500 people, you know, how much more is it true in a municipality or a state or, a you know, or, you know, or a, a federal government? I mean, it's got, it, you, you th- or a global government, you think, well, of course that's the way it is, you know, because I saw it. I saw it in my own church, you know, why wouldn't, why wouldn't it happen in a broader term? And you could call those conspiracies, but I mean, they are things that happened in secret amongst the powerful people that you knew that it came out later and you found out you were duped. You know, you found out I've, uh, in, in our church growing up, um, you know, you, you would say, you know, you think, okay, this is a great, this is a great guy. He's just, you know, he's got our best interest in, our, you know, you, you think the world of this person and then you find out for the last four or five years, you know, he's been doing terrible things, you know, horrible things behind everybody's back. And you think, okay, well that's, I got duped. I was gullible. I believed this guy. And then, you know, you become cynical over time. And I think that just, you know, not growing up in a church almost makes you, you know, more trusting. I mean, like you, I I don't know if it's just a Southern thing. I'm not sure, but there is a lot of scandal that goes on in a lot of Southern churches. I can't speak to the, the wider world, but um, I mean, if the, you know, with the, the news with the Catholic, you know, sex scandals and all that stuff, I mean, that probably proves, proves that out. But, you know, if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably weren't, you know, we're less likely to have encountered that and be you. So maybe you're less likely to be cynical. I I don't know. Less likely to maybe be cynical about large organizations, which is kind of this funny line that I've seen between my, you know, my, 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 my Christian conservative friends and then my friends who are not, uh, that are not, not, not Christians, you know, they do, you know, it's, 
it's kind of odd the way that you that you explain that and this is obviously anecdotal but you know see seeing the way that that these and I, I still stay in contact with a lot of my liberal friends uh you know non-christian friends and all of them are kind of lockstep with with everything that's going on and all of the uh the the media that's being fed or the the recommendations from the media and from the top down they're like they're they're right there lockstep we need to shelter in place for as long as possible no matter what and then you have the majority of my of my of my christian friends who are trying to a do do everything that they can so you know to help out the communities and these other places but they are for the most part they are very they are very skeptical and sometimes cynical but the majority of them are skeptical of of the the the, the main the recommendations that we're getting especially now that we're that we're almost at the end of april and moving in to uh another month and we're still being we're still not sure whether we're going to be locked down or not. This is, uh, these are, these are those, that, that dividing line seems to be pretty consistent in my life where, uh, maybe people who didn't grow up in church do seem they, they, they tend, they seem to trust, um, they seem to trust the, uh, trust the government kind of open-handedly and a lot of these major news sources, which, you know, I'm not saying that I disagree with a lot of that necessarily. I mean, there's there's good things, like we've all said, there's good things, there's bad things that are coming around out of this. Um, but at some point in time, you know, you you have to you have to take a step back. You've gotta you've gotta look at all the live options, and you've gotta move forward with something. Um, and you know, going back to my original criticism, we can't be that we can't be that worried about the optics of this thing, how it's going to make us look, because sometimes we have we have to be willing to be wrong about some things if we're going to call certain things out, right, or be willing to call certain things out. We've got to be willing to put things out on the table, and we've got to be willing to be wrong about them. Now, hopefully, we're humble enough to say, you know, this is this is a live option. And it looks fishy. I could be wrong about this, but we need to consider this as opposed to just being like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm captivated by what, what Dave said at the very beginning. Uh, I've, I've done a, uh, a little Strong's, quick Strong's um, search on conspiracy, the word conspiracy, both the Hebrew word and the Greek word. And it's it more often than not just by glancing at it and not doing a very long kind of study it these con conspiracy is connected with power i'm al almost exactly every single time here i mean you have a second samuel you have david's counselor talking about a strong conspiracy with absalom you have first kings you know all all throughout first and second kings and chronicles a conspiracy you have isaiah conspiracy and they're all associated with authority I mean, most of these are a new Testament. Yeah. I mean, you look at acts 23, the conspiracy to kill Paul. And of course the conspiracy, the word conspiracy is not there for Jesus, but this conspiracy idea is almost, I mean, it's almost parallel with our distrust of those that are in authority. 
I mean, I well, Matthew that. twenty Matthew twenty six, uh, then the chief twenty six three, then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly yep. and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. I mean, that's like a serious, they're orchestrating this thing, you know? Yeah, and the, the, and you actually can use a parallel word, confederacy, which I hate to use confederacy and tactical faith and being in the South, right? But you look at the word confederacy, or a combination of two or more persons to commit an unlawful act, then uh, it becomes broader. There's a confederacy of kings in Obadiah and, and Isaiah. Um, I mean, you have the, even the Maccabees, apparently, uh, it occurs there as a league of men trying to be involved in a conspiracy. Um, and didn't they, was it James, was it James and John that they, that they, or Peter, okay, who, who are the, there are two, uh, disciples that the, uh, um, Pharisees grabbed, uh, shortly in this early in Acts and oh, that like was, said, okay, we're going to have you John, flogged. Yeah, it's Peter and John. Peter and John. Okay. And they, they're like, let's just keep this on the down low. We're going to flog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then you just shut up. Okay. Yeah. Acts four, they're just pretty much telling them to be quiet, you know, yeah. cause you know, yeah, it's just, this, this is very, very interesting uh, to me uh, that maybe there's this, just the, Maybe there's a natural, as we are readers of the book or readers of the Bible, we've almost default uh, would be discouraged by those who are in authority. And there almost dis dis seems to be a default position to maybe it's healthy to distrust the authority. Now you're starting to get into the area of even some of the, the, the preachers and theologians of the 17th century uh, leading up to the revolution as they were trying to make sense of a revolution against authority. Uh, and all, I bet, I bet there's a lot of these kind of lines of thought that are going on, even at these points all throughout history where we're rebelling against our authority, especially with Christianity rebelling against authority. Um, so Travis, you're our, you're our virtue guy. You're our philosopher. I've had many great conversations with you, but individually, is it okay to be somewhat kind of, skeptical of authority not just authority but just to be okay to have a at least in terms of creating disciples and be discipled is it okay to say to somebody it's all right to be a little bit skeptical of of certain things that come down the pipe that you don't agree with is it virtuous yeah i mean i think i think there are some i think a kind of I think we should we should always be somewhat skeptical of those. This is I'm I'm torn a little bit on this, right? Um, I, I mean, I attend I attend a church that is pretty hierarchical as well, um, and so there there are elements where you recognize that when people start gaining power, um, they start power can easily distort their view of the world, uh, inflate their sense of importance. Um, give them a sense that the average person isn't quite, quite worth with it. it. Well, it starts to affirm the natural inclination we have to believe that we're more important than the people around us. Um, you know, power corrupts. Um, it kind of, it kind of natural, it's a natural, natural uh, corruption. Um, and it's, I mean, because power is, I think power is a, is a tricky idea in, in scripture anyway. I think the way we view power 
um, and the way the church has kind of sidled up to power is itself a dangerous thing and has led to, to a lot of different problems. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it is, it's good to be questioning, but I mean, there's so many other factors that, that come into play here, right? So, you know, if, if I, if I go to my pastor or my priest and I, and I, uh, and even if I've had a past of, of many scandals, if I'm living in a constant state of distrust, that will undermine my capacity to be disciplined or to, to be, to decide, I should say disciple, not discipline, but maybe even disciplined, uh, but be discipled to grow and so on and so forth. If I'm in a constant state of mistrust of those around me and those over those who have some sort of authority over me, then I actually fall back into the sort of individualistic, uh, I am the standard of truth and everybody, everybody must match my standards and I become this, I become the standard. If it doesn't get by me, if, if it doesn't live up to the standards that I have, then I refuse to believe it and accept it. And that's very much sort of an American way, way of thinking of things. Um, that's why we leave churches for stupid reasons. Um, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, Travis. I've, I've, worked, I've dealt with that in my own life, of just being, you know, so, so mistrusting at times that, you know, you realize, okay, now I'm, I'm judging everybody else based on my standard. And I'm not even sure if that one's right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a really, it's a tricky place to be. Um, it's sort of like a straight, narrow path, right? Um, where, where you're, we should not be so silly as to just embrace what we're told all the time. We're constantly supposed to be checking the scriptures, checking things against scriptures, checking things against the evidence to some extent. My, my issue with distrust is that there are times when we are filled with mistrust because our only, our, our largest fear is that we don't want to be duped. And I've heard people talk about, so I've had people bring um, in, in certain kinds of conspiracy theories about different events. And my response to them is sort of like, if I, let's say I accept your view of the facts or your, your, your distrust of what you've been told, what do I do with this? What are you trying to get me to do? What are you trying to get, get me to be? Am I supposed to change something about my, cause I can't make any, I can't do anything about this situation. Um, generally, even if whether your conspiracy is right or not, I have to go on loving my neighbor, taking care of my family, and so on and so forth. It's almost like everyone is so afraid of being duped. It reminds me of the, this, uh, this uh, piece written by, it shows up in a lot of philosophy books by a guy named Clifford. Uh, he wasn't a large uh, red do dog, but um, it's a piece called The Ethics of Belief. And he says it's wrong always everywhere for anyone to believe anything upon insufficient evidence, which is just an absurd standard. And nobody can possibly agree with that. Um, so I don't even know why the article keeps showing up because it's ridiculous. Um, is, is, to, is he best friends with Alvin Flanagan if they go to lunch? <laughs> no, not at all. No, this, this guy is this guy's long dead. Um, but uh, William James presented a, a nice takedown of him. That's it seems to me pretty conclusive. But there's just times when you when you can't. Um, and uh, but, the, but he brings up the one point he brings up is similar to what Stetzer's saying that there's an, there's an element there's a danger to becoming gullible but Stetzer again Stetzer says accept what you've been told and don't think anything other other than that um, there's a point where Christians can become ridiculous you know where you're you start looking around at everybody with with distrust you know you start becoming anti the government anti everything you know I'm not going to pay my taxes I'm not you know da, 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 da. you go down this hole and you're like you know what you're 
it's it's almost like they're demanding that the world be perfect and Christ-like before they and utterly worthy of their trust and to prove that they're utterly trustworthy before they'll accept it. And that's not how Christians are supposed to are supposed to live at all, right? We're supposed to walk into the fray and maybe end up crucified. I mean, that's and and this demand that that we that that I will not trust anybody, I will not submit to government, I won't whatever because I I mistrust everybody. I don't know if I'm kind of I'm kind of critiquing the conspiracy theories. Um, at this, you know, but what I'm trying to say is we have to go down. It seems like we're, we're called to be down this middle road, not to simply accept everything we're told just because we're told it by someone who has, you know, some sort of degree or some sort of position, government, whatever, um, be critical. I mean, we live in the United States. We're supposed to be critical of our, of our government. I mean, we are supposed to be involved in our government. Um, but at the same time, the people who are, who are, you know, digging bunkers and filling them with guns so they can shoot their neighbors. If the neighbors come over asking for help because they distrust everybody. That's not exactly Jesus style. Um, and so, and I'm not saying, so, and, and the idea of, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing you, Dave here, but we can be burned by things that happened in the past and it can cause distrust, but that distrust will simply increase, increase vice, increase brokenness, increase isolation if you, if you follow that road down, we are made to be people who live in trusting, loving relationships. And if you can't trust anyone around you, the, pro- the problem's probably you. Um, and that's not a good thing. Um, that doesn't really answer your question. I kind of went off all over the place. but No, I, I'm, I'm really appreciating where this conversation is going. Uh, Dave, you're, you're muted. Oh. Emma? Dave, Dave is muted. Oh, he David. might have muted himself that he's trying to talk to us. Oh, yeah. I was going to say is that I think it's important what you're talking about because you can definitely go that direction and become just an isolated cynic. Um, you know, and that it's it's funny. We, you know, I think I think it makes it worse when you are in when you're in a you know, it, I don't, there again, I don't know how it is outside of the South, but here in the South, you know, we tend to, you know, hop into a church, you know, re- stay with that church for, you know, 10 years and then something bad happens, we get burned and we jump, you know, jump to, you know, jump to church number two, you know, same, do the same thing, five, you know, stay there for a few years, you know, somebody does something happens bad and then we get, get angry and we leave and jump, jump to another church and we just, they have this pattern um, of, of sort of mid-range church hopping over time. And it sort of, again, reinforces that idea that you yourself are sort of like the, the sole arbiter. I mean, I'm not necessarily criticizing and saying those things are wrong or people shouldn't, you know, look out for themselves or their sensibilities in that way or whatever. But, um, you know, some of that, you know, the, the idea if, if, if you're getting into this, if your conspiracy theory mind mindedness is coming from that place of, I am the sole arbiter of what's true. Um, that I, I totally agree with Travis. That is such an isolating thing. And that is probably very detrimental, not just to community, but to you, to yourself. I mean, we, we are a, 
you know, Christianity is a community um, and it's going to be full of all kinds of screwed up people all the time. And it always has been since the very beginning. Um, but that wasn't one of the things that, that Christ, Christ didn't say, you know, be with your community unless they're all screwed up. You know, I mean, like there's going to be screwed up people. And so you, you've got, and they're going to do bad things and all that kind of stuff. And it's just part of being human. I'm letting us sit in sit in uncertainty. How does it feel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so w one of the last things, and we'll, we'll make this as a concluding, uh, we, I mean, we could, we could go forever. I, I am now wanting like a four part series on, on conspiracy in the Bible. Um, uh, that, that was good. I mean, this, this is fantastic. Um, but so sitting in uncertainty and wanting to be the hero or seeing who the heroes are and the villains are plays really does play off our two podcasts on theology of economics. Uh, doesn't it Travis this, and, and, and that seems to me something that's in play here as we look at the landscape of what's going on in the world, we really do as a default position want to see who the players are, who I can root against and who I can root for. And uh, sometimes that gets to be a problem, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, that's part, part of the message of the gospel is uh, those barriers, particularly you see at a Pentecost, the normal barriers that you have that mark the good guy from the bad guy, everything from are you a Jew to are you circumcised to do you eat the right kinds of foods, all those break down. And so there aren't clear markers on who's good or bad. In fact, the good news is meant to go to all. And mm. so, I mean, it's sort of at the centerpiece of Christianity that you don't get to mark out certain people, right? Our, bat, our, war, our battle is not against flesh and blood, people. Um, and so the thing that, that a lot of distrust caters to or a kind of certainty based on mistrusting everyone around us caters to is our desire for our battle to be against flesh and blood. Mm. Well, I, you know, there is, there's this idea that uh, obviously within, within conspiratorial, you know, you can call it a conspiracy or sometimes you can just call it propaganda. Right. And the people of Germany, for the most part, believed the story that they were given over and over again about what, what, what Hitler and Germany, this rise to power, what it was going to accomplish for the German people. And they bought into that. Now, there are a few people who did not. One of them, I know, I know Travis is a big fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but Bonhoeffer did not believe the popular narrative. And he kicked against the grain pretty hard, and it did cost him his life. So, um, and I know that Stetzer, somebody like Ed Stetzer, knows who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, understands what the man was doing. But if, if you were on the inside running a PR campaign for German Christians in, in, that, in that time period, you might have come out and been like, come on, Come on, Dietrich. You, you need to back off a little bit. This is not. This is not going to end well. And you're making us look bad, you know. So going back to the optics thing, we've got to be willing to look foolish sometimes. And uh, you know, there's we're inevitably going to be wrong at some point in time. But we've got to be willing to be wrong. We've got to be willing to move forward with with 
with these ideas because you, I think, I think, I can't remember if it was Dave or Travis who said it, but, um, you know, that we've got so many players and everybody's trying to spin it for their own advantage. Now, whether that's conspiratorial or not, it's just basic PR within any large organization. They're going to be like, oh, this is coming. We've got to, we've got to make this work. We've got to make this work for us, right? That's just, that's just the nature of the beast with, with large corporations and people who are concerned about their bottom line. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I'm not, I'm not comparing what's happening right now with coronavirus to the, uh, you know, to, to, you know, German, Nazi Germany or anything like that. But I am saying we have to be careful about, about the, the, the PR campaigns that are coming at us from, you know, a hundred million different directions. You have that, you have that, um, you know, that, that thing that happens where everybody kind of jumps on board and tries to get their own, you know, agenda in order. But, you know, it's also, I think it's important to remember that that doesn't always work. I mean, people don't have perfect information and people don't make perfect decisions. Um, and so like, for instance, the media, you know, they, they may really jump on board with, um, initially they say, okay, well, um, these, you know, all the, having lots of eyes on screens, that's really good for us. You know, because that helps us sell, sell more ads, but then the panic, um, creates a situation where everybody, where everybody, you know, the, those initial panic headlines drive eyeballs to the screens, but then those panic headlines also cause people to do things that shut down the economy and make everything horrible, which then decreases ad revenue, which is exactly what's happening right now. You know, Google, Google just announced last week that they're going to, well, it wasn't an announcement. Uh, somebody leaked a memo internally from Google that said they're going to reduce their ad spending by 50%, you know, and they're, they're that alone is $18 million worth of that, you know, ad spending that has gone, gone away. And so the news now is suffering mightily because of, because of this. And a lot of that is what, I don't know if you saw that video by Bill Maher, you know, he said, stop with the panic porn. And he's yeah. like, you gotta stop with these horrible headlines. It's made, it's making everybody and, you know, so afraid that it doesn't produce what you're hoping for. You know, and one of the things, you know, he's coming at it from a political standpoint of, you know, he wants to see Trump defeated and he's saying, well, if you don't, um, you know, what you're doing is having an, uh, the opposite effect of what, you know, of what you're trying to do. And so like that, that kind of thing, that's what I see as a real, is, is the way conspiracy theories really work in the modern era is that everybody jumps on board and tries to get, tries to manipulate the an event, the, the events that happen to their own gain, which is natural human nature, you know, whatever, but then nobody has perfect information. Um, and so everybody, you know, lots, lots of people play it right. And lots of people, people play it horribly wrong. Um, and, and I think one thing that's important to, to remember, um, you know, is this idea of revisionist history. And for a long time growing up, you know, you always hear that as it's the term revisionism or revisionist history is a pejorative. But it's not. I mean, it, it, it got its start in the 19, you know, 20s 
as a reaction to some of the horrible propaganda that was put on the United States uh, during during World War One, and you know a lot of the journalists from you know that lived through that time saw uh, just false headline after basically fake news after fake news about you know the German government about you know World War One, you know the Hun, so to speak, you know, is what they were called. They're coming to get your women and all these horrible things that were you know that were put into American media and the revisionists said, okay, we're going to look into this and we're going to figure out how much of this stuff was true. How much of it was false. Um, were we manipulated? And, um, so they did that and this whole idea of revisionist history came about of correcting the record after the fact, when you have more information to go on and a lot of the conspiracies, you know, we can entertain them. I think it's okay to, but then we have to trust, you know, um, 10 years, 20 years from now, the history of coronavirus is going to be written from a much better perspective. And then the revisionists who take, you know, take that job on themselves can look at a much, a much broader and more accurate range of information after that, after that fact and tell us, okay, this is what happened is so I think, I don't think we need to be scared of revisionism either on a, from a progressive liberal idea or from a conservative idea or from a libertarian. I don't think that, I think the revisionism is what corrects the record after the fact, because like Travis said, and you can't always know, and you have to be, you have to just admit that I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to say this makes sense, but I, I don't know for a fact. And so you have to wait sometimes until later to get the clarity on a situation that's as complex as one like we're going through right now. Uh, we need to be students of history. There's no doubt about that. And we need to, we need to be able to dig into those ideas. Uh, it, 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 it's sad how, how, how much people are lacking on, on those kind of narratives. And, and, you know, we're not, not, I think that, you know, that, that old axiom that those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. You know, I think there's a lot of truth in that and we, we all need to have our ears up and, uh, you know, our ears to the ground, so to speak. Yeah. What's there's not- a good book by Albert J. Knott called myth of a guilty nation. And that was a, a book written in, uh, it's published in 1922 about, uh, and it details some of the headlines and some of the stories that were going around about Germany at the time of World War One, and they were all, you know, like ninety percent of them were just made up. They were all false, but those were things that our own propaganda department, you know, of the War Department, they had a propaganda department, and were pushing on us through the news media, and there were laws passed after this to prevent that, basically to prevent. Uh, propaganda directed at our own people, you know, through the media. And so, I mean, like there's, uh, you know, this, this idea of being, of being skeptical of what we hear at the time we hear it and just waiting for a better picture to emerge later. I think it's, it's rooted in, in Americanism. And it's the fact that, that we're all living in a broken world and the reality is it's almost like groundhog day, right? I mean, it's not that we're doomed to repeat it. We're repeating it over and over and over and over again. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And and for Christians, it's we don't. There was only one person that allowed us out of Groundhog Day, and that was Jesus. And we're waiting on Him to kind of relieve us of this horrible cycle of mistrust and destruction uh, that we put in place of ourselves. I'm 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 reminded of Ecclesiastes 11, and I, and I'll leave it with this. Um, Ecclesiastes, uh, the Koalith of the teacher says, uh, give a portion to seven or eight, uh, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. He uses this old ancient idiom called, when they used to say, send your bread on the surface of the waters. And after, uh, what that meant was, uh, basically what that meant was, in, even in time of distress and worry, you're still supposed to be a certain kind of person. And that certain kind of person is to be a generous person, right? I mean, that's what he ends up saying. He says, the clouds are full, they will not. The, they will pour out rain on the earth. Whether the tree falls to the south or the north, the place where the tree falls, there it lies. Um, you don't know the path of the wind or how, the, how bones develop in the pregnant woman, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. He basically, typical Koalith, you, you basically don't have much control in the world that you live in. And even the idea of certainty is beyond your, beyond your reach. So it's important for us, and you guys have said it beautifully, to be a certain kind of person even through the crises, right? Because they're going to come. Whether we cause them or somebody else calls them or nature calls them, we are going to be involved in chaos since, the, since we, we were brought into this world. We have a death sentence the minute we're born, right? But we all have to be a certain kind of person as we walk through this. Uh, the Koalith reminds us to be generous. Uh, what I would remind us to be is also to be thoughtful, not to be gullible, but to be truthful and to be those who are not afraid to tell the truth and to, as Travis has taught us, be able to sit in uncertainty. Uh, to, and as uh, both Shannon and Dave have said, to allow other people in the future to get a clear sense of what's happening today. Uh, and we can be heroes in our own play, right? We can be heroes here if we acknowledge that it's not all about us, and it's also about helping others in times of distress. And I hope that's what we're doing. So thank you all for coming on board. I think this is a fantastic conversation that we can we can probably pick up again um, and maybe even bring some other people into it. Uh, for those of you who listen to Tactical, who come to Tactical Faith and are listeners of Tactical Faith, thank you so much. Uh, we are a nonprofit devoted, volunteer only, devoted to get people to think about their faith uh, deeply, uh, to think, not only think about it, but hopefully go out and speak to others uh, about the truthfulness of the Christian worldview. You can find what we do on at tacticalfaith.com. You can send us all an email. Info at tacticalfaith.com is another place where you can get a hold of us. Uh, our listeners uh, kind of are growing. We're doing a really good job of promoting content. I'm happy about where we're going. If you want to be a part of what we do, just reach out to us. And uh, right now we're not having any conferences or anything because it's just not that time, but we're trying to promote more content and have more uh, ideas and themes that might be uh, unique and well worth thinking about. So thank you for coming on board, uh, all three of you, and we will talk to you guys later. <laughs>